Welcome to the Stories Told podcast, where we share stories from everyday people making a positive impact, big or small. Our mission, to shape a better future by telling better stories. When developers clear land to build communities, not all of that land is consumed by new homes, streets and sidewalks. Some of it is reserved and regenerated. But you can't just plant seeds, add water and hope a habitat will emerge. You need vision. So Habitat Matt is the man they turn to. Matt Keyes is a stunt actor come environmental master planner. He started his company Habitat 21 years ago. Two decades on, he's completed hundreds of projects protecting and reconstructing rainforests across Australia. We met Habitat Matt at one of his man-made ecosystems at Upper Coomera on the Gold Coast. This is his story told. Matt, thanks for joining us today. I mean, Pleasure. Take us back to the beginning. Uh, Habitat, how did it start and, and why? Mac, it came about from what I thought at the time was, you know, and this is 21 years ago, things were a lot different back then, um, that there was a need to be able to work with the, the development and construction industry to be able to feed into them the opportunity to create a win-win, a win for them and a win for the environment and put them together um, to, to marry up the clout that they've got, the, the, the economic might that that industry has and put it towards creating places like this. And I guess there are two industries that in the past butted heads. Uh, there was probably a lot of uh, disdain between the two. How did you manage to bring the two together? Well, initially it was, it was a bit like, you know, for the most part, it was a bit like mixing oil and water, to, to be honest. But there was, uh, there was a, an undercurrent of wish within that industry of being able to do better. You know, developers build houses and uh, subdivisions that people buy into and they want to do better. But they're good at civil engineering, they're good at laying things out, they're good at marketing, at pricing, etc., etc. Their skill set isn't ecological management as, as, as front of house. But there was the opportunity to bolt that on, to get that service into their tent. And that's what I did. And how did you do it? What does Habitat do and, and how does it work? You've got to be passionate. You have to be passionate because it'll be bloody hard, and it was. It still is sometimes. But if you've got that passion and your purpose, you'll eventually get there. I had to kick down doors, bites, kick, scratch, scream, just to get into meetings, and then I had to back myself. And that's what we all need to do, is get yourself through that door and then back yourself. And if you speak common sense and you can demonstrate unequivocally a win-win opportunity for everybody in that room, it makes it awful hard for them to say no. So a developer comes to you, they've got some cleared land or, or you approach a developer. How do you approach a, a block like the one we're standing in that 14, 15 years ago was nothing? Where do you start? Like anything, you need to have that vision. Um, there's no point looking at today. You need to look at what it'll look like in, in the mind's eye in 10 or 15 years time. Um, having an understanding of, of, of in this case, of, of how vegetation and ecosystems work and how they can function if you create the right opportunities for it um, is, is critical because ultimately these places have to be a success, otherwise they'll never get tried again. Um, get a few of those under your belt, which is what I did. 
um, others saw what was being achieved. The clients uh, in the industry were saying, hey, he didn't cost us a fortune. It actually worked really well and our buyers love it. So the new ones hear about that and they say, whew, wouldn't mind a bit of that. And off it goes, it's like a snowball. As we were chatting, it was surreal to think that the humming, chirping, buzzing, beating heart of this habitat we were standing in the middle of simply didn't exist 15 years ago. It was flat, barren farmland, and now it's alive and thriving. Matt is humble about the work he's been able to achieve in two short decades, but you can tell he's bloody proud too. Not proud of himself, but proud of Mother Nature and her ability to prosper where many would have thought it impossible. For a bloke whose last job was selling slushies at a 7-Eleven, I wanted to know what's inspired him on this journey. You say passion's pretty important and, and having that purpose. What is your purpose behind all of this? I mean, you seem, you're clearly passionate about what you do. What, what is the mission? Well, I guess it's a fundamental human thing. We want to raise our kids to be better humans than we are. Um, we want a better healthier planet than the one that we found. Now, that's not going to happen unless literally millions of people make an effort, make an effort with their kids, invest their time into building better human beings, invest time and money into building better ecosystems, to learn from the mistakes of the past, to not repeat them, to show a better way forward so that others can copy it and keep it going. And that's what you're doing. I mean, this is a living example of what can be achieved. This, what was this place that we're standing here? This was just a paddock. There was, nothing, there was literally nothing here. It had been cleared for, for, uh, for agriculture or grazing, whatever it might have been, 70, 100 years ago, and it just got left. Um, until eventually the urban sprawl um, moved out here as our population grew from tiny little coastal fishing towns um, to being a city like we are today. And that presented the opportunity to again house our, our population, build the houses that our kids want to buy, and they are buying, but at the same time rehabilitate places like this and fix up the mistakes that have been made in the past. And this is just grazing or you know, scraping the surface really. Um... Can you talk to me about some of your even bigger projects than this? Yeah, well, there's, there's literally hundreds of them. We've just picked this one because it's easy to get to and it suited us all to, to film here. Um, but there's hundreds of them. What's really important is that uh, they're becoming faster, they're becoming cheaper, they're becoming much more efficient. We're increasing ecological diversity, particularly floristic diversity, so more different species of plants are growing in these more recent jobs than ones that we were doing 12, 14, 15 years ago. Um, that's then leading to a much faster uptake of a diversity of, uh, of, of animals, of fauna. So the snowball, as I like to call it, of, of starting here and, and letting nature take its course is actually being accelerated, which is brilliant. And the other one is it's cheaper. We're getting the cost down through efficiency by trial and error of learning what different sites respond to really well um, so that we can deliver sites, ecosystems, faster and cheaper for, the, for, for not only the construction industry but for the mining industry, the infrastructure sectors. It doesn't matter. Whoever it is, we can do it faster, better and cheaper now as a consequence of exercises that we were doing like this 12, 15 years ago. So how long have you been doing it now and how many trees do you think you've planted? What sort of an impact has Habitat had? Well, this is year 21 for Habitat and probably 27, 28 for me personally. Um, we're somewhere past 5 million 
native plants installed. But in addition to that, we've protected literally hundreds of sites as well where we haven't had to uh, reconstruct them, but rather have recognised a patch of particularly significant bushland and have been able to explain to the property owner why that needs to be preserved. They look at it and can only see trees, and that's fair enough. It's not their, uh, their first skill set. Whereas we can differentiate between um, very common vegetation that you'd find that isn't of any particular significance per se versus vegetation that absolutely must be protected. We explain that to the client. They then get it. They want to preserve it. It's part of their legacy. Um, they do preserve it. Then we move on to the next gig. So you've got reconstruction works like this, five million plants, and then there are literally hundreds of sites where we've been able to say, hey, we've got to keep, this is really special. Come and have a look at it and I'll explain why. So there's all those as well. The project at Pimpermar you've been telling me about, can you elaborate on that? I mean, it sounds like a pretty big one. Yeah, and that was supported by Mervac. Mervac have been fantastic on that project. It's at Gainsborough Greens um, on the Gold Coast. Um, they gave me the opportunity to trial a technique that I believed would work, which I've since called rapid rehabilitation, on a 58 hectare site that they had. Um, what we found seven years only after it all being bare dirt, the entire site was bare dirt, we've now got endangered regional ecosystems growing there that have been looked at by the Queensland Herbarium and they've said, yes, we've assessed the data, we've looked at the photographs, we agree. How did you do it? And I explained this particular technique to them, which is different to just what we've done here, which is planting trees and watering them and nurturing and, and growing it up like that. But importantly, Mac, it's super, super fast. And that's what we've got to do. You know, that we, we need to be faster, not recklessly faster, but more efficient. We need to be cheaper. We need to use less water. We need to use less energy. We need to use less fertilizer, herbicides. And we've got to do it all a lot quicker because you know, we all hear about what's happening in the Amazon basin and through Australia and the rest of the world with land clearing rates. If we're ever going to restore what we had, say, 200 years ago, we have to be faster at putting it back than what the current rates is of knocking it over. Now, that's why this particular site is so exciting, because we've not only been able to rehabilitate the site, but more importantly, we've been able to create endangered ecosystems. Now, for your viewers, endangered ecosystems are different to, say, the Wallamite pine. That's a tree that everybody probably knows about. A very rare tree and therefore endangered. But it's a single species. Whereas an endangered ecosystem is a collective of vegetation that forms an entire ecosystem which has since become endangered. Now, being able to recreate those quickly and very, very uh, financially efficiently is one of the holy grails. So I'm absolutely stoked about it and all credit to Mervac too for backing that idea when lots of other people were saying it'd never work. And what has that meant for the flora and the fauna in that region? I mean, have those animals been able to find homes again? Yeah, well the upside, aside from, from being able to progressively attack by way of creating new uh, forestry stands of these ecosystems and eventually get them from, uh, from endangered to of concern to, to, to uh, not of concern. So coming down from, from extinct, critically endangered, endangered, of concern, not of concern, is in itself a huge step forward. But all of the animals that live off those ecosystems, they then start the trickle down effect as well. They go from being critically endangered down to being not of concern, to use some technical terms. 
I that's why it's, it's so important. Yeah, it's just reversing, <laughs> yeah, reverse extinction. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's rewilding places quickly and financially, super efficiently. It removes all excuses related to cost. How does it make you feel then when you drive through a suburb like this that you haven't been in for four or five years and to see a place that you know residents drive by every day as well and probably have no idea that this bushland, this, this natural ecosystem didn't exist 15 years ago. How does that make you feel to know that you've given these people that live in this area um, yeah, something to be proud of? Yeah, it's humbling, to be frank. Um, I, I can see what this place will look like, not because I'm particularly special, but the, I, you've got to have that mind's eye at the very beginning, as I mentioned, to, to be able to look 15 years ahead um, and then look 100 years ahead. And I can see what this will be in that time as the forest evolves, um, that, the, that, the, that the species that, that weren't perfectly suited to here are outcompeted by those that were perfectly suited. Um, but it is humbling because it's a legacy that this place will be here in a thousand years time. It's safe, it's in a reserve, a reserve that we created in partnership with our client, that we planted out. These trees are now seeding. They'll just continue to, to, to seed, die, fall over. Seedlings come up, seed, die, fall over. The cycle will continue in perpetuity. Um, so that's humbling. That, I did this and the, the people living here don't know and it doesn't mean anything that, that, that's irrelevant to, to me personally. Um, what's important is that this place is protected, it's a new one, it didn't exist 15 years ago um, and it's good for a long, long time after our families have died out. And I guess that's the question then, I mean looking ahead what would you like to say to people who I suppose see videos like this or hear stories like this and um, there is a big concern in society today that we're running out of time, that we don't have enough time to reverse the impacts that we've made on this planet. What, would you, what, what hope would you give to them? Mate, it really starts just with hope and belief. Two things. That's all it needs to be is, is, is hope for the future and belief in our individual ability to be able to make a difference. Now. If we fall victim to all of the doom and gloom that's been pushed on us in the last couple of years about global uh, problems uh, and we, we get overwhelmed by that, we then get lulled into uh, doing nothing. We know what the problems are, you know, whether it's deforestation, loss of, of, of fisheries, uh, climate change. We know there's, a, there's a, a gazillion others. We know they're there, but they're not going to go away unless we individually do something. And for your viewers, it, it's simple, there's really two ways. You can either um, toss in a few bucks to the local wildlife care group. They're all volunteers, they don't get their petrol for free um, if you can't get out and do anything. Or alternatively, join a bush care group. You don't need any skill, um, no experience is required. Just a willingness to learn and to help, that's plenty enough. You know, you front up on a Saturday morning once a month and put 20 trees in the ground, consider this for a moment. Normally when a tree goes in the ground, we've packed them in here, but they'll normally be at about one per 10 square metres. So each month you're covering yourself about 200 square metres. You do that uh, 12 times, so suddenly that becomes 240 trees that you've put in the ground and it extrapolates out of that. So 240 uh, trees per annum, you do that for four years only. That becomes a thousand plants 
and at 10 square meter spacings, you, yourself, any of your viewers have covered a new hectare of forest just by yourself. So you get a thousand people doing that, just a thousand, who turn up once a month for four years and plant 20 trees. And believe me, planting 20 trees is easy. It's, it's, the, the, the trees are only this big, it's not hard. Suddenly, you end up with a thousand hectares in just four years from doing that. Just 1,000 people. We've got 5 million people in Queensland. My maths, I'm not smart enough to even work out what sort of a fraction that is. A lot is. of trees. It's, it's a massive amount of trees. 1,000 hectares in, in four years, just simply from 1,000 people fronting up once a month for a couple of hours, sticking some trees in the ground and doing their bit. That's how we're going to win. Yes, this stuff is really important from professionals like me, uh, but not everybody's in that position in life where they or, or, or has that particular motivation that, that, that I had and, and have still got. And that's okay. But to leave it to us, to be honest, it's not enough. Um, we've got to hunt down that deforestation rate. We've got to overtake it. We've got to beat it. And that's how we can do it, is if people just don't give up hope. That was Matt Key's story told. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the Stories Told YouTube channel to see his work with your own eyes. It's pretty bloody incredible. And if you, your business or brand want your story told, give us a call or send us an email. The details are in our show notes.